Steve, I almost said happy Monday, but it's actually a Wednesday. But this is going to be a pretty laid back and formal podcast. We just wrapped up our rifle elk hunt, you and I. Um, I just got back home at 2.30 in the morning. So <laughs> I will try and stay awake during this conversation. But we just wanted to kind of hop on and chat about the hunt, chat about the experience, uh, some of the things we learned, some of the questions that you guys had on social media as listeners to dive into. Um, and yeah, just go into it. So I guess super helpful if guys are newer to the podcast by chance. Uh, this was our second rifle elk hunt. We did uh, a very similar hunt last fall, which was our first rifle elk hunt. And uh, it was, we'll get into the story, but it was oddly and eerily similar <laughs> this year and last year in so many ways. It was pretty wild. Yeah, that uh, yeah, it was just crazy. So yeah, let's, uh, I guess we'll just dive into the story and we'll, we'll try and hit some of the questions that came up as we tell the story. And then, uh, after, you know, a bit of the story and kind of the play by play, if you will, if there's anything we didn't hit, we'll go back and do some Q and a, um, but yeah, where do you, where do you want to start, Steve? I'll say for me before, I guess, before we get into the hunt for me, one thing I, I had to like consciously shift my mindset on going into this hunt was that it wasn't necessarily going to be easy because last year, uh, things happened fast. Uh, we filled our elk tags and back-to-back days on our first two days of hunting. And, you know, I wanted to go into this year confident and I was, and at the same time, I'm also like, man, it's not necessarily going to just happen like that and be that easy again. So I almost had to prepare myself of this could turn into a seven day grind. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, what, what were your thoughts going into the hunt? Um, well, I was looking forward to like, I think I, you know, converted you over to uh, the spoon and crockpot club. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where, uh, you know, I shot that spike last year and um, you got to eat some of it and just appreciate oh, just, so you know, good. mountain veal. The stuff is freaking delicious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I think you were came around this time to like, yeah, like any small elk, it's freaking going down and it's fun. It's just fun to hunt that way. You know what I mean? It's just laid back and, and yeah. enjoyable and, and any Brown you see out there in the mountains, all of a sudden exciting, right. Versus yeah. uh, if you're just looking for a big bull or something. And I was, you know, I literally halfway joking with, uh, but serious of like, I really didn't want to go in there and shoot a big old gnarly six point that wasn't going to taste very good. Uh, like elk meat is to me, the, the premium meat. And I want my freezer stocked full of good elk meat. I've shot big bulls in the past. And when you go to cook that hamburger or cook that steak and they're just tough and then the meat just smells, you know, that's the difference between that and a young tasty spike is um, it's black and white, man. That's a huge, huge difference. So, yeah, uh, I was going, going in looking forward to just shoot another spike and, uh, really any small bowl that stepped in front of us. And, uh, and it was, it was fun to have you with that same mindset. Yeah. The, the bull I shot last year wasn't, you know, a monster from a score perspective, but he was definitely an old bull, a mature bull, and just like kind of a gnarly fighter. Um, scarred up and punctured in the body and broken tines and didn't eat bad, but I will say absolutely no doubt your spike tasted much better. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and then, yeah, going into the hunt, I was, you know, knowing that, uh, I had sent a buddy into the spot. He had an archery tag this year 
and I sent him into that same spot. Um, and he had, he had been in there like September 20th and, and said bulls were screaming and there's elk everywhere. So I had very high expectations. I was like, I was like pretty confident by the end of day one, we we're going to have both elk down, which turns out to be very close to being true. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I was not expecting a long grind. It, it had snowed prior. The snow was melting. It was cool weather in the forecast. Like everything was queued up towards, you know, being a really good elk hunt. Yeah. Yeah. You're pretty confident for sure. We'd at least have one down by lunchtime on our first day of hunting, which yeah. I mean, you called it it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Talk through, so last year we backpacked in, um, obviously hadn't necessarily been to this area in this time of year. This year, we obviously have a year of experience. You had the buddy who was in there during archery season. We felt like we understood just based on last year, the way the terrain laid out, different things like that, kind of how the elk wanted to move in this country. Um, and so we really chatted about, you know, we get up to the mountains, we verify the rifles, which is important, especially for me, cause I had traveled and flown with a rifle and then it's like, all right, we really don't have much time left to hunt today. We could get into the country today, um, and just kind of backpack and be there and maybe hear something tonight, maybe get a little bit of glassing in, you know, in the evening or just kind of be right there in position for the morning. Or do we kind of just stay at the truck, get up early and start working our way in, in the dark, which is ultimately what we chose. And I think made a good call there, but, um, anything to touch on from that perspective? Yeah, just, it was, you know, it's knowing the country is a huge leg up and, and not only knowing the country, but having spent enough time in there, do you understand animal movements, patterns, uh, where they want to be right um, that's just a, uh, yeah, it's a huge advantage. And we had that. Uh, and so, yeah, the night before we're like, man, we could hike in, but it's going to be, you know, short timing and, and really you get like a four mile walk in where there's not probably going to be a lot of elk. And then all of a sudden you get to mile four and it's like, okay, here's time to like flip the switch. We're hunting. Um, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to, you know, we discussed packing in that night and it's like, ah, let's just chill. Let's get up at 6am hike in there. We'll be right on right where we want to be at seven. And it was like light at seven 30 and turns out, you know, so we do that and we wake up, we hike in there and, and, uh, I was pissed. Cause we, we, we got right to her. Like, all right, let's stop. It was like, we probably had a good 30 minutes to sit there and wait. And like five minutes into sitting there, freaking we bumped some elk that were, they had fed up the Ridge and we're just right there. Like probably within 70, 80 yards of us feeding and I was just pissed because, man, we we really could have had one killed within the first 15 minutes if we had just held back a little bit further and then waited for light to sneak in there because we kind of got right to the edge of where, like, okay, it's it's time. And then it was, you know, then we're like, oh, we got to wait for shooting light here. So, yeah. And um, we hiked that quicker, I think, than anticipated. Like, it's oh, morning. Yeah. We're ready to go. We're stoked to be hunting. And, you know, yeah. you and I yeah. just put the pedal to the metal and probably yeah. just hiked too hard to get yeah. there. Should have been a little bit more cautious for sure. Just uh, held back, but um, yeah, lessons learned. We'll apply that to next year's hunt. Yeah. So yeah, basically we bump, uh, bump those elk before shooting lights, kind of stay put, wait till shooting lights. As you said, we're right at that transition area, at least in our mind of like, okay, this is huntable. Like as soon as it's shooting light, there could be elk here. And obviously that proved to be the case knowing we bumped elk. And so we just kind of started covering some country, um, working in a direction basically like we worked last year 
And it's just, it's hard to describe, but it's such a, it's like a rifle hunting dream to be in this area. Just the way the country lays out the perspectives that you have to glass, to shoot. I mean, you're, you're kind of walking a ridge and looking on either side and just, there's so much country that's in rifle range. That's you could be shooting 80 yards. You can be shooting 350 and it's just, just looks good elk sign everywhere. And so we take our time and cruise and uh, work through that. And I think <laughs> going back to our crazy expectations probably went, you know, an hour and a half and it's like, Oh, I'm surprised we haven't seen an elk yet. You know, not that we were down, but it was almost like we just expected well, to be just in the right amount away. of elk sign on that ridge going down. I mean, it was just the highway crisscrossing up, down, left, right. Um, and so it was just, yeah, it was, we're, you know, it was nice and calm and clear and it's an old burn. So like you said, it's, everything's open. Like it's, there's a lot of cover for the elk in there, but at the same time, we're not going to miss them. Like if, if they're within 350, 400 yards, you're going to find the elk. Uh, and, and hopefully there's a, you know, an elk in there that's legal to shoot. So, um, yeah, yeah we're like two thirds of the way down the ridge. And I look at you, like, I'm half surprised we haven't killed an elk yet because just based purely off the sign i mean fresh piles of poop uh the only thing that there was wolf tracks right so yeah uh, in the back of my head is like "Eh," and they're fresh i mean that wolf was in there the night before um and it was just a single wolf so it was definitely like ah that could you know if he came through here uh could have spooked the elf elk off down off the ridges and maybe down in the bottoms where it's more brushy and maybe wouldn't pick them up yep yeah. And then we, you kind of said, we'll for sure see something by the time we get to the end of this ridge. And, uh, essentially as we got right near the end, um, I kind of happened to look down, look across just with naked eyes, something kind of, kind of caught my attention and thought, gosh, that has to be elk and quickly pulled up the binos. And sure enough, it was elk and quickly I could see several elk, but saw a bull quick put the vinyls back down. You were ahead of me at that point, just a little bit. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like Steve, Steve, Steve elk right here, kind of pointed in that direction. And you got in the glass and I think throughout a quick range and the elk were, uh, not alert at all, but feeding and feeding in a direction where there's kind of this window here of like, we could make something happen now we could wait, but we're going to end up pursuing them quite a ways. And, uh, man, I don't, it's almost hard to like recount this next series of, uh, of moments. Cause things happened a little bit, uh, fast. And I think you and I both had different perspectives and experiences. Cause obviously we'll talk about what happened, but, um, from me saying, Steve, there's elk and getting you on them in the, in terms of the direction of seeing them, how did it go down from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, you pointed to elk and looked out there, pulled up the binos right away. And I saw two bowls, like a small bowl and an even smaller bowl. And I like, I instantly thought like, <laughs> we're going to double up. And then, you know, I love having the, the, um, range finding binoculars. Cause it's just literally right there. Click a button and it said 530 yards. And, um, you know, we have both been practicing a lot with shooting off our packs and the shooting sticks. And I just killed my sheep at 530 yards, uh, you know, back in September, I was like, this is an elk. There's no wind. Like I can make this shot all day long. Uh, just a couple of days prior, I was out in the desert shooting 600 yards and shooting, you know, nice tight groups, four or five inch groups in like really windy conditions. And uh, this I was like, this is dead calm. This is a dead elk. Yeah. And it's, it's dead calm. And um, you were kind of up first and we both were like kind of right and next to each other. 
Um, and I don't know what, I guess on your end was happening, but like, basically I, I thought we were going to double up. So I get my gun ready. I get the shooting sticks out, get the pack on. And then you were kind of fumbling around, um, from my perspective. And, and I'm like, <laughs> get ready, it. Mark. I'm on this elk. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, dude, bring it. Hurry up. Um, I was trying, so yeah. dude. We were on a steep hillside, like yeah. getting set where you're just not, not moving in terms of like crosshairs moving, but physically like getting yourself in a position where you're settled, you can build a rifle support position. You're not sliding, you're not moving. And by the time I did that and then started to want to find the elk through my scope, you were ready. And uh, yeah, I told you, man, if you're on them, go for it. And I started to kind of try and get them in my scope, then you were ready. So then I was like, all right, I'm bailing on a shot opportunity um, temporarily, not necessarily we wouldn't double up, but you were ready. And so, yeah, yeah I was like, Steve, go for it. I pulled up binos at that point, just cause I wanted to, uh, basically be glassing and try and spot shots for you. But yeah, I fully was like, it was just a weird, you know, weird it, position happened quick and very trying to build it. steep, like 45 degree angle hillside and loose, very loose. Um, but yeah, what I, I was able to like get my get my butt down jam the trekking poles into the dirt you know and they sink in there like 12 inches and i was pretty stable and i'm on crosshairs on him and he was feeding kind of up up through the burn basically you know run it feeding uh, broadside to us but it was just like it was that tight it was it was that time of morning the sun was starting to come up and you could just tell the elk were going to start feeding away and you know maybe in hindsight i maybe we had more time than we thought right but it was just like that the one bull that's out in front is definitely feeding away. And I just felt like, man, we need to get a shot off. And so, yeah, I got the crosshairs on them and ranged dialed the scope in. Um, and I was, the crosshairs were, I mean, dead. I was not having any vertical movement, just a little bit of left and right in the crosshairs. Like, I mean, literally four inches on the elk. Right. Um, and I squeeze off the trigger and, and, uh, you're, you're like, you hit them. I'm like, Oh frick. Yeah. And then, reload get another one in and then you're like i don't see i don't know i can't remember exactly how it went down but you're like yeah. i don't see blood i don't see impact but you you thought for sure i hit him just based off of his sound. movement yeah, yeah i thought oh, that's sound, right, sound and he kind of moved but i heard that good like thud of a bullet yeah. right and especially that distance and we'll get into this but you and i both shooting suppressed right so you have yeah. the report of the rifle which is suppressed and at that distance you know 500 yards a little over you have that kind of that moment of quiet, especially on a suppressed rifle. And then you're waiting to hear that bullet impact. Um, and I heard that and the elk like took a step, not like a hunch of like, you know, shot necessarily, but like took a step similar to the impact timing. And I just thought for sure that you had smoked them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I ended up shooting two more rounds just cause he wasn't moving or anything like that. And the second shot, you didn't think you heard something. And I'm just like, what the heck? I think I rechecked my range, rechecked my dial, shot again. I didn't have to make any changes because everything was going right. And um, yeah, nothing like elk didn't drop, no blood. And just, what the frick is going on? Um, and then <laughs> in the tumble, I, I went. Yeah. So then I went to I had three you know rounds in my in my gun. And so I'd, I needed to get more bullets out. So I grabbed Adam in my chest pouch on my binoculars. So I went to go grab it and basically I had let go of my pack and the thing just freaking tumbled down the mountain, like 50 yards. Just instantly <laughs> and it was sailed, yeah, just yeah. gone. I was like, Holy crap. So I basically like 
grab all my crap and I got to, cause I can't make this shot without my pack and, you know, bear hugging the pack. There's just no way um, that adds way too much stability. So I, I got to go down to get to the pack. I get down there, um, get to the pack, get more rounds in the gun, rearrange, redial, and I'm and getting back on the elk and then you shoot um, and the elk freaking falls down. Um, and it was like, holy crap, you know, that's awesome. And still, you know, obviously we didn't know if I had missed or not. Um, we didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So, you know, obviously we're celebrating high-fiving uh, when we, we had first seen two bulls. So uh, we instantly kind of start looking um, for the other bull. And I'm kind of, I'm under the assumption that I had hit him. Um, and then you, your follow-up shot kind of put him down. Uh, but basically I'm under the assumption that I, you know, I don't, I just didn't see how I could miss, uh, mm-hmm. the way I'd been shooting, uh, practicing and stuff like that. And, uh, so we're looking for the other elk can't pick them up. They, they kind of, you know, that's the cool thing about the suppressors. The elk do not run off. Uh, they just basically slowly feed away from us, but just how the terrain laid out, we really couldn't like make a move or get any closer. And we never could pick up that second bull that I saw initially. I have no idea where he went, uh, or what happened there. But anyways, we got an elk down, we're high-fiving, um, and uh, basically it's, you know, like, I think, I don't know where you were at, but I was under the assumption that I'd killed it, and, um, you know, on the way down, I was like, oh, I guess if I missed and you killed it, you killed it, like, it is it is what it is, you know, we didn't really care, yeah. it was elk down, it's 9.30 opening morning for us, uh, let's let, let's go down here and find out what's going on, so yeah. Yeah, we, we, yeah uh, when, you, when you went to reposition and your pack sailed... Um, I was still in my glass at that point and I just hear your pack tumbling and I'm like, like in my head, knowing I'm sitting on this hillside, how steep it is. I'm like, that, that sucker could be gone. Like, I'll see you later. But then you get up and take off. And so you go and chase the pack. And now I'm like, okay. And then I didn't want to get after you, but I was also the way that elk were feeding away. I was in a bad position. So I moved like 15 yards to, to my right, just to have a different angle into seeing the elk. And, um, I saw that you were down there and getting set up again. When I moved, I was in a much better position, um, from a rifle shooting position standpoint to build support and be steady. And so I just looked for the elk, um, through the scope, saw the bowl, I didn't see blood or anything, but at that point he was also quartering, like quartering to me. And so in my head, I'm like, he, he could be hit. And I just don't see, you know, the entry or exit. Cause he's not fully broadside anymore. He's kind of quartering too. Um, and yeah, he was just in the scope. I was rock solid, felt great on the shot. And I was like, I don't know if he's hit or not. I don't think Steve's going to get mad if I quote unquote shoot his elk after he shot it. Like, I just want to make sure that, you know, if this elk is shot, it's not going to run away. And I wasn't, we, you were probably what Steve 30 yards away from me, but so steep. I almost couldn't see you type thing. And I'm like, I don't know if he's getting ready to shoot again, but I have a shot. I'm taking it. Um, just felt fully confident. It was honestly just kind of all an autopilot. Right. And yeah. yeah, just freaking sent that around and, um, watched him just go down right there in the scope. He took just a few steps and was, was down at the base of a tree. And I was still, wasn't sure what you were seeing or what you were doing. So you're below me a bit and I'm like, elk down, elk down. Cause I didn't know if you knew, like, yeah. obviously you heard me shoot, but I didn't know if you saw what happened. Right. So right. Yeah, it was a little bit of, we came together and it was like, 
we just killed an elk. I'm not sure, you know, who, <laughs> who, killed, who shot it, but we'll, we'll yeah. get down there. And well, we knew for sure you, you put a fatal shot on it. I just didn't know if I had shot it, put yeah. a fatal shot on it or not, and just hadn't died yet. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing that we didn't have the conversation, but obviously we're been friends long enough that you, uh, you knew my response, right? It's, yeah. I think it's an important conversation to have with your hunting partner is a great point, whether it's bow hunting or rifle hunting. Um, yeah, like we've, I've, yeah, anyone I've ever hunted with, we typically have that conversation where like, say if we're bow hunting and you're the, you know, you're the shooter and I'm the caller, but my bow's like leaned up against a tree next to me and a bull comes in at 20 yards. Um, for the most part, it's like, dude, if you like, I, if my hunting partner's the caller and I'm out there shooting and he's got a really good shot, take the shot. Like, yeah, I would not be upset, you know, but that's a, that's definitely a conversation to have with whoever you're hunting with. Um, but yeah, I was, you shot and I was stoked, right? I mean, I didn't, I didn't think twice about it. It's like, man, we got elk down. Yeah. Who at cares? that point it didn't care who killed the yeah. bull or whose tag was notched, right? Like, we'll, yeah. we'll see who shot it. Right. Did you shoot it? Did we both shoot it? Whatever. It was more the elks humanely killed. We have an elk killed. That's great. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll get down and figure it out. Um, but yeah, we'll get down to the elk, take some pictures. Well, yeah, we think first thing we do is like, look for like you know exit holes and really could only see one i was like son you know and then i'm i was kind of just pissed at myself like how did i freaking miss i don't know what what happened here i don't know you know i'm just racking my brain of how how i missed and and uh you know i'm shooting a solid copper bullet so there's not going to be a massive uh, entry and exit hole um so we're like well let's start cutting this thing up and we're cutting it up and just looking for holes and there's just basically one in it so i was like yeah clearly that's mark killed it and then um yeah i have no idea what i did how i missed um definitely had me rethinking a lot of things the only the the, the only thing that was a possibility was it was such a steep hill that I didn't notice, um, when I was shooting that my, maybe I had the barrel on the shooting sticks and not the stock. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only thing that, uh, I can think of. Um, I actually, uh, went out yesterday and shot my gun and verified that everything's still on. Like I, nothing had happened to the gun. Um, so I don't know. I have no clue what, what the heck happened that that's the only one I explanation I've got, uh, it's either that, or there's just some some environmental factor out there that, um, was pulling the bullet, you know, it was either going high or low. Um, the way I've been shooting to me, there's like, there's just no way I flat out missed three shots at that distance, right. On a, on a big bodied elk, like that's a pretty big target to completely whiff. So I feel like there was something outside of it, whether the, the, the barrel was on the shooting sticks or whether for whatever reason there that in the morning, the thermals were pulling the bullet down. I, I, I don't know, but definitely has me rethinking, um, you know, like, Oh, well, if I, if there's factors out there that, uh, if it wasn't the barrel on the shooting sticks and it was just environmental factors, that's too far of a shot, right? Like I, like all my practice this summer, I've, I have not experienced anything like that. So, um, I just, all I can do is learn from it, learn from the mistake and, you know, just, I need to go. We talked about it. I just get back up in the mountains when it's super cold and, and just practice shooting and see if I can consistently hit what I've been aiming at. Cause I had been all summer long. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we talked, I mean, kind of before the hunt, like, I know you asked me like, Hey, what's like, what type of range, where do you feel comfortable? Um, and for me, the answer is out to six, but 
I always have like an asterisk when you're talking like true max range, because it, it depends on so many things, right? It depends on the environmentals and the conditions and the wind. It depends on your position as the shooter and your setup and how stable you feel and how confident you are in that specific shooting scenario. And so to me, six was a max, but it was also things have to be like a lot of things have to be right for me to even consider shooting at six, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of all those conditions I just mentioned, my position, et cetera. And that's when I had moved and ranged right before I shot, I was basically five fifty, Um, and that just isn't a shot that I take lightly by any means, but it was that perfect scenario of no wind, just a great angle at the elk. I was like a hundred percent, like rock solid, not fighting the crosshairs not seeing them drift at all away from the vitals and like i said it was almost on autopilot which you know thankfully i'd practiced in those positions and things like that um to where it just it it happened and was executed well and we'll part of what we did um on this hunt was kind of shoot some videos and stuff and for you guys who are hearing us talk about shooting off the sticks with the pack as well um we're, we shot a video kind of on that setup. Um, and so we'll be kind of showing more of that because it is from a ceiling sitting, kneeling perspective. Like if you can't get prone, it is the most way, the most stable way to shoot for sure. Um, really comfortable when you get used to it and just rock solid holds. So, um, yeah, that's how it went down and yeah, it works, worked really well. Yeah. So we, cut it up you tag it uh and it's like all right game on and uh we kind of like uh i think we almost immediately like all right i'm freaking going 100 after a spike uh, we had a and, great meat plan at this point yeah. <laughs> and uh like spiker bust right and um and uh we're gonna grind up that bowl and then we'll split all the steaks off the spike uh, so we both kind of get the best of both worlds right get a bunch of good hamburger and then also some really good steaks off the spike so yeah it was um yeah it was spike hunting time and uh <laughs> <laughs> we dang near um we cut well, up your bowl to we, skip that one question like to hit and i'm again diving into q a but we specifically were all right we got this bowl down i shot at 9 30 we were covering we cut them up um, you know, it's basically lunchtime at this point. And the game plan was let's hang the sucker in the best place possible, which took some work from where we were. Um, but let's just keep hunting, right? Like, yes, yeah. we have a tag field. And so one of the questions was, how do you keep meat from spoiling at the truck when you have multiple tags to fill? And what stands out to me in that question is at the truck. And by that, I mean, when you fill a tag, don't think you have to take meat to the truck. That's not what we did. You get it hanging in a good spot where it's going to be cool. It was plenty cold on the strip. Uh, it's going to have some shade. And as long as, you know, you know, you have all that work ahead of you to pack it out, keep hunting, which is exactly what our plan was. Yeah. I mean, we were down in that Creek bottom and, and frankly, like, the, the truck was parked off of a fairly busy dirt road and it's uh, where we had a base camp. And it's like, man, I, I trust the meat more down here. It's not like someone's going to stumble across this and pack it out uh, versus if we were to go hang it up at camp, you, you, you know, unfortunately might get somebody who would be tempted if we're not around, you know, we're out backpacking for a few days that, uh, you know, I don't, I, I've never heard of that happening, but it, it's uh, just, you know, it's, it's a like, it's a thought. Yeah. And I feel safer with it down here and it's colder. It's down in this Creek bottom and, uh, yeah. nice and shady. And so, yeah, we just hung it up and 
like, and well, it's, it's, I mean, we were six yeah. miles, so it's not like a quick, oh, I also just dropped this at the truck. Right. I mean, you're, you're giving up a lot of hunting time yeah. to choose to pack meat at that point. Yeah. Well, I think it was like, what, 6.35, miles all the way back out to the truck. So, uh, we were, it was definitely a good pack out with basically all uphill, a couple thousand feet. Um, so we, we hung it up, took a little, uh, lunch break and really kind of got the packs back dialed in after packing, uh, packing the meat over to that tree where we could hang it. And then it's like, well, let's go find a spike and get this done. And we, uh, man, what we ended up like two hours later, glass in a bowl, probably like 1500 yards away and had to kind of do some couple little up and downs, get closer. I was surprised and, at how much, yeah. so glassing that bowl and then ranging him, I was like, yeah, it was like 1580 or something like that. I'm like, ah, no problem. We'll be over there in a second. And there's a lot of country between us over that elk was at <laughs> was 1500 a of, yards. A lot of brush and terrain, that's for sure. Um, but we just knew like, oh, that's a bull. And you know, most likely everything we, was, we were seeing was still herded up. So it's like, there's probably cows and maybe there's hopefully a tasty spike with them as well. And we head over that direction. And and sure enough, man, like we get to where we could have a vantage point and uh, we we're actually a pretty steep little draw. And it was only about 300 yards across that thing. Um, meanwhile, I'm, you know, obviously in the back of my head, I'm like still confused how I missed. Um, so I'm just like, I don't, I don't feel uber confident. Like, like I mean, I remember telling you, like I was extremely confident from, you know, five, 600 yards. It's like, I think I just cut that in half. Like, I don't, I don't know if I want to shoot over 300. I just missed. I don't know why if maybe my gun's off. I don't know. Um, so that was a little like, you know, uneasy for me. Right. Uh, so I was like, I definitely want to get just get close and have a guaranteed shot. And, um, yeah, this was a perfect scenario. It was like 300 yards across this Max. thing. And, um, yeah, and like within like 30, so we kind of split up, uh, we got where like basically where I wanted to sit, I got my pack out. Um, cause we knew the elk were, you know, it was pretty thick timber, but we knew we had a know, really good reference point. Yeah, we had a we very good reference point spot yeah. where we were 1500 yards away. There was yeah. like a very notable feature. It's like, yeah. all right, we just got to get to where we can class here and get in yeah. shooting range here. And, uh, so yeah, I get, get the trekking poles out, get the pack kind of get set up. And then, um, and there's like a, just a waiting game. And after about, you know, 45 seconds, cause you're kind of sitting next to me. It's like, Hey, Mark, like when you go sit over there 50 yards, cause it's, you know, a little bit different vantage point. We have trees on our side. There's trees on that side. We can't see everything. And sure enough, you, you go over there and sit 50 yards and like within 15 seconds, you spot, spot elk, uh, or spot in elk. And, uh, and then I run over there to you, we get on it and it was like, it's a freaking spike and like, Holy crap, what's going to happen. Like, this is like three hours after you just, we just got done cutting up your bull. Um, and that sucker just wouldn't cooperate. He was like, basically well, I was on, you, you couldn't yeah. get it yourself to <laughs> like, cooperate. Yeah. yeah. He was, we were on a really steep little hillside and he was for a good portion there. Gosh, he was like 260 yards, something like that. Yeah. And how the hill laid out, it kind of reminded me of my, my shot on my sheep where, um, I could actually get laid on the ground, get prone, you know, get the bipod out. And I basically kind of get the gun set up and I try to get in position and my body is just sliding down the hill. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking up at you like, God, son of a, you know, like, yeah. like, you're the elk was prone, like, but not like, not in line behind the rifle. You have no, to come in from an angle. So we're on like yeah. a super steep side hill and yeah. 
you know, the rifle is not at 90 degree to your body, but you're having to come across for sure. And literally I, I was like standing there and you're getting in position. Like you get the rifle set up and it's on the bipod and you start to like get on the ground and I see you lay down. I see you kick your toes in the mountainside to like brace yourself. And the next thing I know, you're just looking up at me with like this look on your face, like what the hell? And you're just sliding. You're just like, you're just sliding away from your rifle yeah i was just sliding down the hill so i scoot back up you know like use my elbows kind of like get back on the gun and i've i kind of like hold my elbows into the dirt and and i just kick my toes in the the it's super soft kind of sandy dirt right there and i kick my toes in as best i can let go of my elbows try to get on the gun and just start sliding back down and meanwhile i'm frustrated because it's fairly thick but at, at this moment the elk was feeding where he was broadside i mean it was like a yeah. slam dunk shot um and I, I couldn't get in position. And then he just started feeding and, and that little, little sucker just uh, um, saved his life that day by feeding downhill. And like, he, did. uh, he didn't know how close he was. Yeah. As um, you were trying yeah. to get a position and I kept just like ranging him, and he literally moved from, you know, like 280. And at one point was like within, I think 130. Um, yeah. He wasn't necessarily, Yes, he was coming to us, but he was like on this opposing face. And he was just, he was feeding downhill, like kind of zigzagging, almost making little switchbacks while he was feeding. And yeah, it was like, it just kept, the yardage kept dropping, but then he'd be behind trees and it was just thicker and just, yeah, that guy has no idea how close he was to not making it to see the end of that day. Uh, Yeah. And then I think eventually somewhere around there, I gave up on trying to get prone, got the shooting sticks back out, got the pack out and I was able to get steady. And I was like, it was one of those things. I was frustrated because I was like, I had just missed that, you know, the bull you killed. And so I wasn't confident in that setup at the moment. And that's why I tried. I, I think I can get prone here, you know, and make and have just a slam dunk shot. And in hindsight, if I just gone straight to the pack and sticks, I would have killed that, that spike. Um, but I was, uh, again, that kind of, confidence you know that it just plays such a huge role and that's why getting out there and and practicing with your weapon and and stuff like that prior to a hunt is so stinking important um but yeah that that spike lived to see another day he kind of fed down and then the winds were blowing down and it still seems weird that he caught our wind but he definitely caught something and we saw him run up the hillside and and he basically disappeared and he did a great job disappearing yeah and then we never saw those other elk so it was at this point i think we had you know, we were probably at your bowl was, I would have not have been like super we're, thrilled if you, would yeah, have, we were probably a mile. Yeah. Cause least. we were pretty much, yeah, that, yeah, probably a mile from where you killed your actual, like seven and a half miles back there. And I was like, all right, this is probably far enough. Let's start hunting back. <laughs> Let's not um, go deeper. Yeah. And then meanwhile, I mean, there's elk sign everywhere. So it's like, all right, we'll just, like we could keep going this way further away from your elk, further away from the truck and find elk. But also we walked by gobs of elk sign on Great the way country. in this morning. And like, well, let's just hunt back towards your elk. Um, and we hunt. Yeah. So we hunt back towards your elk. Just take our time. Just kind of really still hunt. Um, again, this, this country just lays out so well for rifle hunting. It's just, um, there's so much country within, you know, three, 400 yards and, old burn it's super steep in this in this area so you can kind of see across the canyon and it's just perfect for uh, reminds me of you know when i was like bow hunting like specifically like um high country mule deer there would you know you'd scout areas and you'd find bucks but it's like 
this just isn't huntable. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there'd be other areas where like, you could just, you envision like, dude, if all right, there's a, I scouted this buck and he beds up in this spot and the stock is super easy. And it's like, you kind of got to, um, you know, when you can hunt that country that gives you the advantages you need to, and this place just is perfect for a rifle hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, yeah. So we hunt our way back kind of towards your elk, take our time and, we get, um, we're basically back to your elk within a like, couple hundred yards of it. And I'm um, like, well, let's just, it's getting dark. Let's pitch camp here. And, um, I still just kick myself Freaking on rookies. this one. Yeah, man. We just, um, I don't know we're, we, we just kind of, it was like 20 minutes of light left. You know, there's the one difference between this year and last year was last year, the elk were talking and bugling and very active. And this year they, they weren't, we heard a couple bugles, but, um, it, it wasn't, uh, anything, anything like last year. Um, and yeah, we just kind of, unfortunately just put ourselves in just relax. Like, ah, eh, we're not going to kill anything tonight. There's only 20 minutes of light left. Let's look for a flat spot and pitch the tent. So we're not trying to find a flat spot in the dark and we find a flat spot, start taking out the packs and all of a sudden hear an elk bark and, and we look over and not 150 yards away. Yeah. Uh, we, I see it a cow and a spike crossing the, uh, the, the bottom of the little Canyon. And then there's, um, uh, an elk up on the Hill barking at us. And, and it was a mad scramble to grab my gun. And then I asked you to like, Hey, grab your shooting sticks and toss them to me. And you toss them to me. And I get on the spike and range them at like 140 and he's behind a tree and the cows in front of him. And all he has to do is step right where the cow is. And I, I mean, I would like, I was like, holy crap, we are going to double, double up on the first day. Within, like, yeah, a couple hundred yeah. yards where my elk's hanging. Yeah. And he's right next to your elk. It would have just been perfect. But that, that lucky guy just, um, instead of following the cow steps, just went straight up the hill and basically like just walked away from us. There's just nothing I could do. So, yeah, um, I think it was, you know, like in my head, looking back on that, obviously we made a mistake there and our, our quote unquote guard was down, but yeah, we were like, literally up until that moment we were in hunt mode right so it's not like we like recklessly walked in and like made a storm and didn't look at what country we were in like we went straight from like we're still hunting as you just said and covered that mile ish essentially still hunting from where you saw that previous spike to now we're just getting ready to set up camp and it's again open ish country where because we were still hunting and looking, I felt like we had kind of quote unquote cleared the area, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was like this little, like we were basically on this little rise, like little flat, like plateau type thing. And I think they were just off like the edge below us where we just didn't see them from the way we approached. Yeah. Yeah. But still, we just, I don't know. I mean, there was daylight left. It was still shooting light. I should have yeah. just taken, if you'd just taken, two minutes to scan what's right around us. You know, uh, we would have seen them prior and, and, and elk would have been down. So I was, you know, like that day was somewhat frustrating to me. Like I, I missed that bull, um, made that mistake on, you know, that other spike where I should have just, I should have just got into the, use the pack and the shooting sticks. And then in this mistake on this one, we're letting our guard down last minute. So at the end of that day, I was just frustrated. I was like, man, I, you know, should, we should be done. We should be tagged out. Um, it's only day one. Right. So it's like, you can't get two down. We got elk everywhere. Like I know I'm going to kill an elk, but I was just disappointed. Um, and then making those mistakes. Steve's not perfect. <laughs> Shocker. Clearly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 
obviously crawled in the tents, made a meal there. That was a chilly, chilly night in the bottom for sure. Mm. Uh, definitely stayed warm, but it was uh, with the quote unquote in reach forecasted and what we experienced were two different experiences. Uh, woke up pretty uh, to a cold morning then. And then it's like, we're right in the middle of where we killed my bull, where elk just were, where there's a ton of sign. And it was almost like, I felt like we could spin in a 360 point in a direction and probably get into elk. Um, so the next morning you kind of just wanted to gain some elevation, get a vantage point and do some glassing, which is what we did. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else kind of from the first part of that day there. No, yeah, basically nothing happened. We, we woke up and, um, just hiked up the hill, climbed five, 600 feet, glassed, kind of side hilled, uh, went through some country, kind of went all back towards where we saw the spike the night before. And, and it was just a dead morning. Uh, the night before was super chilly and super clear. So it was in a bright moon. And I yeah. just kind of, yeah, I just, I think they're, um, you know, I think they fed all night and they're just bedded this morning and, and kind of, there's nothing happening. So, uh, we decided to, um, basically it's like, well, it's, it's midday. It's kind of been a, a dead morning. Let's, let's grab your front shoulders, um, and take a trip out of here. Uh, just, and, and, you know, I felt very confident, like I wanted not to grab too heavy of a load. Cause I felt very confident that, I mean, there was a plan there of like midday hiking back out the country that we came in that like, we're going to catch some elk moving. So we yeah. absolutely we're hunting as we're packing, we're, we're hunting as we're packing out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we just kind of take our time packing out and the intent was to, to pack out the, um, get your front shoulders out and then come back in that country for the evening. Um, but we kind of s- still hunted s- so slow out of there with, you know, with the, the front shoulders on the packs, just taking our time looking for elk that we didn't actually get to camp till man, almost like five o'clock. Um, yeah, later. so we got to camp and it's like, well, um, normally I'm ADD and be like ready to go back out, but it's like, let's just chill and relax. And, um, had a pretty good game plan for the next morning of how we wanted to like come, we had bumped, um, so that we had bumped that elk the f- very first morning. And mm-hmm. I kind of, we kind of had an idea where they went. And then the, that night of, uh, the first day we'd bumped the elk down there in the bottom, that spike that I almost shot. And they kind of all ran in the same direction. Yep. And we're like, well, if, um, had a good plan of like, well, let's approach. We think they went into this little kind of off Canyon. Let's, let's just get up first thing in the morning. And, um, and just approach the country from a different angle uh, and see if we can run into those. Like we know there's elk somewhere in here. If we just take our time, we're going to find them. And uh, it's basically exactly what happened. We, we uh, got it, got up, got, had to hike like, um, Oh, a couple miles, I guess, two miles and, uh, and kind of dropped off. And and basically the intent was to get kind of side hill halfway down the mountain, just side our side hill, our way into where you're uh, where we had been, where your bull had been shot. And, um, we didn't go 400 yards and lo and behold, there's a spike standing on the hillside and dropped down freaking, uh, it was, it was cool. Cause you were right behind me and I had the shooting, uh, trekking poles, shooting sticks on the pack and the, the saw the spike and he saw us at the same time, but just kind of dropped down their knees and you were behind me like, Hey man, get my, get my shooting sticks off. And so you, you get them off, kind of put them together, um, hand them to me. And I just kind of slip them right into place. Um, I didn't even take a range cause I knew he was, you know, definitely like 
somewhere between 100 and 150 yards. It's close enough. It didn't matter. Um, And shot. And bam, two seconds later, (laughs) there's an elk dead. And um, it was uh, was just perfect, man. It was like, holy crap. I can't believe that worked out like that. Um, We got them. We're not, we're we're only like a little over two something miles from the truck. Like, this is going to be a much easier pack out than your bull down all the way down to the bottom. And um, so we, we cut them up and that was pretty, like we had, uh, killed them, cut them up and packed them out. And we were back to camp at like 10 33 in the morning. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it was like crap. less than three and a uh, half hours from the time we left camp to the time we returned to camp with the complete elk. Cause we just yeah. one tripped it being a spike. So it was an efficient morning for sure. It was very efficient. And then we, uh, it's like, well, we got all day and that, that pack out didn't exactly kill us. Let's, let's go get the rest. So we, um, I think we just hung out at camp for maybe an hour and left about Yeah, you took noon. a nap, Steve. I did. I took a nap. That was, that was a fantastic little <laughs> you nap. You had your 15-minute power nap. Yeah. Uh, power nap, and then we just dumped the packs completely empty, just had a little bit of food, and um, that's about it, I guess, and and just kind of just hiked us, uh, took a good, pretty good pace, clipped right in there, got your bowl, yanked it out, and got back to camp uh, right before dark that night. So, um yeah, by by the end of day three, we had killed two elk, had them completely packed out and hanging in camp, and it's time to drink some beer and celebrate. Yeah, yeah, which was the overall exact same sequence of last year. By the end of day three, we're hunts over, everything's back at camp, and we're done. Um, yeah, yeah, and there's a lot more details that were eerily similar. But um, let's hit on. So let's just dive into some of the listener questions, and this may spark more stories or memories as well. Um, so we hit the one on meat spoiling again, we left all the meats, uh, all the my- meat from my bowl that we shot first morning, just left in the field. Obviously that second day we packed just shoulders back to camp. Um, and then morning of day three, we one tripped your spike back to camp and then afternoon, evening of day three, um, we had each a rear, we split the, uh, boned out and miscellaneous meats into two bags. Um, and then I just carried the antlers as well. So that was, uh, that's kind of the story there. There was a couple questions on packs and pack outs. Um, so we kind of touched on it in brief there, but I guess to get more detail for guys who are curious, how far and how heavy were the pack outs is one question. Um, so yeah, I guess the first trip, um, of truly packing meat, as we said, was we had all of our camp backpacking gear, Um, and I guess at that point, like a day and a half to two days of food still with us, um, and then packed my front shoulders. And again, that was about six ish miles, um, quite a bit of elevation gain, especially up front. And then those pack weights, Steve were 70 ish. Um, yeah, 73 was yours. And I was like 68, 69, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that was trip one on packing up meats. Um, we one trip your spike, which you had one Oh six, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had like 90 something. Yep. Yep. Um, and that was a couple miles, a little over. Um, and then, yeah, that was morning day three. And then so we did that in the morning and then the afternoon, the rest of my bowl. Um, so again, six ish miles one way. So we had to get out there and then get back with it. So it was kind of a long round trip. Uh, but coming back with the rest of my bowl, again, we went in with empty packs. I think we were both in the 90s again. Is that right? Um, 
Yeah, we were. What were we? Somewhere in the 90s. Yeah, somewhere in the 90s. Like 90... 93 and 96 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we basically had packouts in the 70s. Uh, you had that one that was 106 and mine was like 90 something. And then we each had another packout um, that was 90 something. So yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a question on were you guys using prototype packs or K3 packs on the trip? Uh, and the answer is yes to all the above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I've been uh, hunting with prototype frames for a while. Um, and it was actually fun to go back and hunt with the K3. Uh, we, we wanted to get some videos and content done with K3 stuff because that's uh, that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Prototype stuff would, you know, maybe 2023. We're just kind of playing with concepts and ideas. And, um, but, uh, definitely wanted to, uh, A, I wanted, we wanted to get content and B, I definitely wanted to spend some time in K3 just to, to hunt and get kind of side-by-side comparisons. Cause it's been a while since I've hunted with a, you know, quote unquote stock K3 pack. Um, so definitely, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's the design development side of, of it is, definitely the most exciting side of the business for me, right? Like there's, it's, it's still business and there's lots of paperwork and accounting and crap like that, that has to be done. But, um, the fun, the fun side is definitely the development side. So it's been fun working on this project and continuing to chip away at it, just testing different concepts right now. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, yeah, the first part of the hunt, you were wearing a K3. I was wearing a proto when we did that first pack out of my bowl, you had the K3, I had a proto. Um, and then, uh, the, the day where we did the two pack outs, your bowl, and then the rest of my bowl. Um, I think we, for that, we both ran a prototype, but then we also switched back and forth. So it's just like, it really, it's a really cool experience to be able to not like theoretically throw a sandbag on stuff, but truly be in the field and like, all right, I'm gonna pack out an elk right now. And then in three hours, I'm going to pack out an elk with a different pack. Yeah. You can't replicate it. Like I can't, you know. Hacking on the sandbag in the foothills above Boise is one thing, but being up there in the mountains, you know, just more technical terrain, more awkward loads. Like you just can't replicate getting real field experience with stuff. Yeah. So yeah, again, K3 is not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, as you said, we shot some cool content uh, for that, that will be coming out here. Um, and then, yeah, it's just early of playing with ideas and concepts and it, it's hard because you know, I know for both you and I, we love K3. And so it's like, how do you, how do you change that? Right. Like it takes a lot of time and intention and effort, but constantly kind of thinking about what's, what's next eventually. Um, so we had some, let's see any, yeah, we had a question. Did she, Steve shoot a spike again? Duh. Yeah, of course. That was the goal. Uh, what the, standard question what boots did steve wear um i guess we got to hit that for pretty much oh man i don't want to yeah um so i've got the the hanvog alberstone has been consistently i really like the boots um my feet just i like the boot from a technical aspect like looking at how it's constructed and stuff like that my feet just don't like boots um i wore them the the first day um why like, a couple days yeah the first two days yeah um and um for me they just might you know you were wearing the same boot had no issues you loved them i was like my, my balls my feet hurt um and i think i think i'm just so used to at this point hiking with like you know i spent all of september sheep hunting with that solomon cross hike and super comfortable you know super flexible a lot of padding underneath the foot 
right? Um, and my feet are just used to that. So when I switch to a boot that, you know, every time you step, there's, there's a lot more kind of impact. They don't have the same cushioning that like a trails running shoe does. Um, and um, yeah, I, the, my feet just hurt, man. I didn't have necessarily hot spots or blisters, but it was just the multiple times um, during that day. I just like, if we're going to sit down and need a snack or whatever, I just get my boots off. Like, uh, let me get these things off let my feet air out. Um, just, just felt like I needed to get them off, right? Like get a break from them. Um, they're a fantastic boot constructed really well. They're waterproof. Um, they check all the boxes. It's just my feet just don't like them. Um, don't like any boot. And, um, yeah. And then, so then the next day when we packed out your front shoulders that we have this initial climb, that's 800 feet and it's, it's the same, climb that we shot off and it is it is steep and loose and it's not rocky it's it's super (laughs) sandy (laughs) and um and uh you know i remember climbing up it going i'm glad i got the boots on because like this i think this would kind of suck in the solomons uh it's just so steep and loose and um you know my feet hurt on that hike out but not terrible it's not like i was dying it's just they're they were uncomfortable but I was definitely glad to get back to camp, throw on the Solomons and then finished out the rest of the hunts with that. And then when we went on that last evening to go pack out the rest of your bowl, I can't, we came up that same steep, loose, crappy, uh, you know, section there. I did that in my Solomons and literally didn't skip a beat. Like I, I think I maybe preferred them over the Hanvogs. Um, like even, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. What there, what it, there is or not there. Like, you, you know, everyone says like, you know, you want, stiff boots to put an edge into loose hillsides. And I just, in practice, that just doesn't apply to me. It just doesn't matter. So, um, yeah, I'm <laughs> the next hunt coming up is, is Kodiak and I don't want to use my Solomon's there cause they're not going to be waterproof. So I'm like, uh, I'm probably will take the Han Vogs and they're just not, um, you know, the Kodiak days are, you know, you're not, you're not putting the miles on that you are, um, on a hunt like this elk hunt. So, yeah. um, we're just going to be, you know, it's like one or two miles from the, from the boat, from the beach up the hill and back down the hill and, um, waterproof takes probably more of a priority over overall comfort. But I did notice, um, again, I'm so used to soft, flexible shoe that, um, just clumsy in boots and, and they're, um, because the sole doesn't flex when you step on a round log or a round rock, like you, you have so much less traction in those scenarios, um, that you just kind of, be got to be kind of more careful where you place your feet, be more intentional. Uh, it's like kind of the opposite of what you'd think where with the, the tennis shoes on, I can just, you know, like, Oh, that rock sloped and doesn't look like it's super grabby, but I can, I know I can plant my foot on it and get a good bite of traction and be fine. Um, so it's, I'm sure it's a learn, like you know, if you've done one forever, you, you just learn how to hike in the woods that way. But for me, it's, it's awkward going back to, to a stiff boot. Yeah. Oh, Steve. That's my rant for the day. That's your rant for the day. <laughs> uh, I wore the Alverstones as well, as well as the Maka Treks. I've wore both of those boots for pretty much everything in the last year. Um, spring hunts, fall hunts, death hike all the above um yeah really really like them they're, yeah they, yeah. they're they are really well built boots and the and the um the last right the foot shape is very like natural and comfortable yeah. um I've, and it's just yeah I've, I've never had a 
boot besides something like softer, right? Like a Salmon Quest or something like that. I've never had like a boot boot fit. So I don't want to say fit so well, just be not finicky, right? So like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what socks I wear. It doesn't matter if it's hot or it's cold or if my feet get wet. Like I've just flat out never gotten a hint of a blister or hot spot anything yeah, in those boots and i've literally worn them from yeah below zero on a death hike to packed up my bull in them last year with them soaking wet and yeah they're just that for me they've been fantastic yeah i've been uh what's funny is i don't know what solomon does i don't know if it's just purely cushioning underfoot but i've like i've tried so many other like you know um, when, uh, I'll pick on crispy, they, they have a, or a Tiva boot. Um, and I bought a pair of those and tried them this summer and they just don't, I don't know. They, they're just not bridging that gap. Well, in my opinion, um, with probably just the amount of cushioning underfoot, right? Like it is flexible, but it's not like stepping on rocks and stuff like that. I actually feel them a lot more in, in that than I do, um, and, and the Solomons. And I had the same thing with some Loas I tried with some La Sportivas I tried. Um, there's a Salewa one I tried. I mean, it's like all these ones that you would think would do well, but they just don't. So yeah, still looking for that, like more durable replacement to a Solomon that keeps the same comfort and man, I'm running out of options. For the saga will continue. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, super wide open question but we got says did you try any new gear any feedback good or bad i don't know what comes to mind for me uh platypus water filter oh yeah um yeah so this uh always been a sawyer fan ran the the katadin be free um for man i ran that on death hike um some trips this summer ran it on the sheep hunt was super happy with it until um i had to filter some lake water and then it it clogged up pretty quick on me to where the the flow rate just you know it goes from like just impressively easy and fast to like just annoyingly slow you know just trying to fill up a bladder or whatever um uh and so i was kind of like well it's you know kind of similar to a sawyer there and that um i kind of just got in the habit of just treating them as a disposable product, right? That you can buy replacement filters for 25 ish bucks uh, and maybe just got to use two or three of them a season, depending on what you do and just treat it like, you know, like your backpacking meals that are 10 to $14 a night. Like it's just a, a, cost, a cost of hunting. Um, it's not a gear purchase. that's going to last you for years. Um, and then um, yeah, at the same time this summer, I, I think based off of your recommendation, I had bought that, the platypus one. I don't know what it, what's Quick that draw. called? Quick draw. Yep. Um, everything about it. I liked other than don't, there's not a way yet to do a quick attach into a water bladder. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were using algenes on that and, um, definitely just not my preferred method to, to drink and store water in the back country. Um, there, it's just kind of a pain in the butt for me. Just, I'm sure it's whatever you're used to. So, yeah. Yeah. That's to me. Cause I've been running the quick draw pretty much exclusively since the summer um, and haven't found a downside except for that. Um, There's no quick connect, you know, to fill through a tube. Um, I did during archery season, I ran a Nalgene with that um, 
hard side hydration, like with a drinking tube mm-hmm. lid. Um, I'd experimented with that last spring on a couple trips. And I think at that point it was like a, a prototype from those guys they sent me to look at. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, I feel like kind of from a drinking perspective, whether you're a diehard bottle guy, bladder guy, or something like a combination above where you have a, a bottle with a, a drinking tube, essentially it's, there's just a lot of preference there. Um, and so pick your poison, but from a filter perspective, the platypus is great. Uh, the bags it comes with are good. Um, the flow rate has remained great. One thing they advertise is they don't have like a back flush system, but it's essentially like self-cleaning um, where you connect it to the dirty bag and do like the shaking process that will actually kind of flush and clean the filter. I've honestly never done that. Um, and my filters, yeah, still so good. Like I don't, I don't notice really any significant slowdown. Um, so I've been, I've been happy with it with that kind of caveat of you just said, if you're the guy who wants to fill your bladder through a quick disconnect on your tube, there's not yet a solution. I don't, whether platypus does that or not, I anticipate probably some sort of, like I mentioned to you, Steve, somebody's going to 3d print some sort of, you know, simple adapter to make that happen. So it'd be interesting to see if that comes about. Yeah. When when Um, that does come about, yeah, that'll be definitely interesting for now. I'm definitely going to go back to the, the be free and, um, just get a new one. <laughs> yeah. Get a new, get buy two or three and then know that's going to last me through the year. So I'll, I'll pick yeah. one up before Kodiak. Cause we, um, you know, for the most part on that trip, you're not filtering water. You just will get it from the, you know, we stay at a lodge and fill up your bladder that morning. You should be good, but you're still going to want to pack one. So yeah. Um, any other gear? Yeah. Uh, like nothing new, man. Um, uh, yeah, I, the, the swirl EL range TAs, man, I'm so impressed with those things. Um, except for missing the elk on the first day, maybe maybe the binos gave yeah, me a blame false it on the reading. Binos, yeah. Steve. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's the binos. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my Zeiss and I killed a bull, so I don't yeah. know. You know, Zeiss <laughs> yeah, is better, I guess. No, yeah. just that. I mean, I know they're expensive, and it's it's uh, man, I fully understand for a lot of guys that's just like completely out of the price range. But um, if it is in your market and you're looking for them, tsh, man, I mean, it's so simple. Just yeah. eliminating that two-step process of binos, then pull out the rangefinder, relocate. Uh, it's a handheld unit, so the field of views and the optics aren't near the quality. Mm-hmm. Um, man, just so impressive. The, the fact that I remember when I first you know, started getting into rifles here oh, three, four, five years ago, like the systems that I was asking everybody just seemed so clunky. I mean, like, what? You got to range, then you got to pull out your cell phone. You got to open up your ballistic app. You got to enter in the environmentals. Like, I mean, it was just like, are you kidding me? Like that animal is not going to stick around that long for that shot to happen. Um, and that's where I, I was more like first focal plane scope. Let's all have like a, what's my minimum. Um, what the heck is that called? Maximum effective range, point blank yeah. range. Yeah. yeah we're maximum like set blank. up the, z- set up the gun for that zero. So really I can completely eliminate out to, you know, 250, 300 yards. I can just shoot, have a first focal plane scope. So I know like no matter what zoom I'm at, I've got the, the vertical MOA marks that I can just hold. Like I had my PRC set up. So f- four MOA was 400 yards. Um, I had that thing pretty dialed for, not having to really deal with the complexity of, of everything else. But now with, you know, with ballistics and um, you got temperature and pressure built into these binocular rangefinders, you just push the button. Yeah. You, you know, if you've got a good dial on your rifle scope, that's, that's quick and easy to use. 
um, man, that system's clean. I mean, it's, uh, it's very, very effective. Yeah. Yeah. Just to touch on like maximum point blank range, uh, you know, it has its place from a simplicity perspective. And, um, you know, if you're shooting with a limited range, right? Like, you know, my max is 350 or four or three or whatever. Like there's, there's a place for it. Um, just something we talked about on this trip and we've talked about in the podcast before, just to kind of reiterate though, especially if you're traveling, but not even only if maybe you'd hunt in state, but there's something about just having a hundred yard zero, just from the verification perspective. Right. So if I'm flying to Idaho, just did, I want to verify my rifle before I start hunting. That's easy to do at hundred. It's not going to be easy to do if I go, yeah, I'm going to, I, I zero at 270 for my maximum point blank range. Well, good luck checking your zero, uh, accurately. Right. Same thing. We're flying Kodiak or same thing for you, Steve, like you're hunting a few hours from home on this hunt, but let's say you did want to re-verify your zero after missing the elk. It's going to be much easier to do that at a hundred versus if you're set up for a maximum point blank range of 240. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so just something to keep in mind again, they both have a place, but for guys who haven't thought of things from that perspective, it's, it's kind of worth some consideration there. And obviously that comes into, you know, not one system being right or wrong, but it comes into your equipment choice too. You know, what type of scope are you using? Do you plan on dialing? There's a lot of variables that come into, uh, what strategy you could or should use there. Yep. Um, other gear, man, nothing. Yeah. I was just going, I was looking at the, we, we shot a pack loading video or I had all my gear load laid out and I was like, zooming in on the picture looking at all the items and yeah well there's a uh, there's this question i still talks gear but it was a separate question it says how was the weather and what layering systems did you use so that leads mm-hmm. us into talking clothes which is gear um the weather ended up being really nice it was it was forecasted to be you know colder for sure uh with some chance of precipitation that just didn't happen we we got lucky we missed a snowstorm in idaho by like two or three days and um I remember texting like, man, there's, I'm getting pictures of 12 inches of snow up on the ground, uh, like only like 20, 30 miles away from where we're hunting. I don't know what it looks like where we're at, but plan on packing cold and being wet. And, uh, and man, we ended up having just beautiful weather. I think that last Gorgeous. day I was like, man, I could be up here with my family camping this weekend. It's, it's beautiful. So, yeah. um, layering, um, I packed just uh i have these long johns my fishnets you like to make fun of me um (laughs) gosh dang it what the heck is the name of that company um i'll 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 google it here while we're um, but steve nobody wants it nobody they are if they they see the fishnets nobody's gonna go buy them well if you're a confident man you just rock them and just you don't worry about it um but uh anyways um, you're doling down now you're really googling it yeah. Oh, Fall Raven. No, not Fall Raven. That's not it. Uh, Wiggies. There's them right there. Oh, uh, I think it's called all this. It's it's like a Swedish Norwegian Norwegian company, something like that. So it's B R Y N J E. Um, they Brynja. They have they have a store in Boise. Uh, that's where I picked them up. Um, then it's a merino wool mesh they're just incredible they weigh nothing and they act very similar to um like down insulation right by there's not a lot of surface area there but they create air pockets between basically your leg and your pants 
Um, and they're just incredible. Like, yeah, uh, they're warm, they're light. Um, so yeah, if you're a man enough to try them, check them out. Um, so I they're packed p- in glorified pantyhose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we did, well, it's, what's the first light pants we were wearing the first day foundry. They got, they got so many things. I don't keep yes. track anymore. Uh, uh, corrugate foundry. First light corrugate foundry. Uh, I've been critical of first light pants in the past. Fit was always off things like that. Durability issues with the wool ones back in the days. Um, but these, these pants are really, really nice other than, great. Uh, they fit great. Um, I just, they've got like waterproof knees, waterproof, butt. it's pretty really cool concept. They're just really hot pants and they have, they have full side zips, but it, even then it didn't like when it was 60 degrees, um, like packing out your front shoulders, I was sweating, even with those zips open, like you're still just, they just don't breathe that well. Um, so for, in my opinion, um, I get hot and sweaty. So that take that for what it's worth, but it's cause you're wearing pantyhose, but going, <laughs> well, uh, they're, um, definitely like it, I, I will definitely wear them when I'm like thirties, the high and it's snowy and cold and wet. Uh, I think it'd be an awesome pant for that. Um, it, much warmer than that. Um, uh, having a base layer system with long johns and, and my piranhas is to me a better option. Yeah. Yeah, I wore those first couple of days. They, and I wore them a bit in Colorado on the cooler days uh, in September, but definitely warm. Yeah, I mean, they're, for me, 40s and below, but great fit, good pockets. Like, they're they're very yeah. nice pants that um, First Light has done a good job on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've been super impressed with them. Just uh, definitely learned that I don't want to hunt when it's hot out with them. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I've been tops. Let's see, just I've got, handful of merino wool base layer tops that i wear um first lights i've got an icebreaker one that i really like that i use next to skin and then um the last few years i've gone to some synthetics um and uh the, i have this one from cool um i think i can't remember maybe it's called their air cool hoodie um and i, I love that thing it's it's a it, you know i don't know what they're doing differently but it definitely just doesn't stink like you kind of remember synthetics do from the, from 15 years ago, you know? Um, and, uh, it's a, it's just a really nice layer. It's got a, it, one that I wear it a lot in the summer hiking. Um, cause it's got a really nice, like big roomy uh, hood on top of it. And, um, you can kind of put, pull that over and it's not super hot, but it helps keep the sun off your neck and ears and things like that. So it's a really cool piece. Um, and then I still have my stellar uh, puffy jacket, which uh, I think continues to be amazing. 12, 12 ounce jacket. That's exceptionally warm for the weight. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah. So pants wore the, the corrugate foundries first couple of days. It got warmer, moved over back to the Pranas. Um, base layer was first light wick, um, which is pretty much what I like a wick hoodies just except for in super hot weather. Um, I do kind of go to synthetics just to get something that dries quicker, but for a hunt like this, uh, and most of September, a wick, um, what's the mid layer, Steve, the grid fleece Klamath, right? Yeah. I think Klamath. Sure. Yeah. Um, that piece is awesome. Yeah. That piece is awesome. That's always my mid layer. Um, and then for me, for insulation, um, on this hunt, which I've just been using more and more on a ton of things, uh, was an Arcteryx Adam LT, um, it's 13 ounces, I think, um, synthetic, not down, 
Um, and then also has like some breathable stretchy sides. And so for me, it's just like a good balance of being warm, but I just don't get that overheating clammy can't hunt in it, you know, type feeling of down. So mm-hmm. down certainly has its place. Um, I've just been picking up this Arteryx more and more because I'm honestly impressed by the warmth, uh, for what it is. So even on like that super cold morning of glassing, you know, we were both trying to essentially keep our feet warm, especially, mm-hmm. um, but even being, you know, still, and it's, I don't know what that was, Steve, probably low twenties, maybe, um, that morning we were glassing second morning, low to mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably, yeah. So I just had the wick, the Klamath and then that Adam LT, um, and even while glassing, it was good. And then when we got up and kind of started circling around and hunting was able to, you know, keep it on longer than I could have kept like a down piece on type thing. So I really like that piece. I think that's it on clothing. Um, I guess we didn't. So there's a bunch of questions on, uh, on rifle setups, which we didn't fully dive into. I'll just read some of them quick. We'll talk about the high level details, but it says, can you share your exact rifle setup, including bullet choices? Uh, another guy wrote in and said, what bullets did you shoot? And were you happy with their performance? Another guy just asked rifle question mark, caliber question mark, shot distance question mark, performance of bullet question mark. Uh, and then one guy asked specifically if we ran suppressors again. So I guess we'll go A to Z for each of us on uh, rifle setups, quick shot distance, bullet performance, etc. cetera. Uh, we'll start with the last question first. Suppressors again, absolutely. Um, it's just a game changer for sure. Uh, both from the Perspective as a shooter from the behavior of the animal. Um, the only thing that sucks about suppressors is basically waiting for them and paying for them. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, they add a little bit of length that can be managed uh, depending on your rifle setup. Like Steve, you obviously built a short barrel Creed more specifically because you knew you were on a suppressor. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done the same on my Creed. It's 20 inches. Uh, the seventh Psalm I was running on this hunt is 22 inches. So suppressors, absolutely. Um, I just I honestly can't imagine going back to hunting without one truly. Um, and just plan on buying another one. We're actually just talking about that. So yes, suppressors, uh, we both shoot a thunder beast ultra. Uh, you have a five inch, I have a seven inch, um, for hunting primarily. I think the five inch is a great choice. Yeah, That's we, we... what I plan on buying next. Yeah. We talked about that on the trip. Like I don't, there's no, you know, yes, the seven inches quieter, but the actual practical difference in the field, like both of them were, you don't even remotely close to needing earplugs to shoot or see this is very similar reactions out of the animals. Um, after you shot, like they just don't know what the heck happened. We were kind of joking. Like, I, I think the animals think a tree fell down. Like they heard a loud noise but they do not react like a gunshot. They, they just stand around and look confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't seem to matter whether it's a seven inch or a five inch. Yeah. Yeah. And that's on, that's on this hunt. That's on last year's elk hunt. That's on a deer that I've shot since like that pattern of animal behavior has definitely been consistent. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll just dive into my setup first. So yeah, I was running uh, a seven SOM. So that's a short action ultra mag. Um, it's built on a defiance anti-X action. Um, AG composite stock, as I mentioned, 22 inch uh, proof barrel. Um, what other details? Zeiss V4. Um, 
yeah, that hits most everything there. Total weight is with a suppressor and everything like loaded, ready to go walk around the woods is right at nine pounds um, for that. I'm shooting a 155 grain hammer hunter. Um, so full copper mono metal bullet. Uh, we've talked about those in the past. It's what I shot my elk with last year, although it was a 166 30 collar at that time. Um, my speeds on that seven SOM with that bullet are 3020, um, 3020 feet per second. Um, and then obviously my shot distance was 550. The, uh, as I mentioned before, the elk was like quartering two a bit. I basically entered, um, right at the front leg, uh, essentially went, went in right there, not quite in the shoulder, but kind of like leg took out heart. Um, I think caught some lung and then exited kind of the end of the opposite side ribs. So it was definitely like a, a quartering two shot with not broadside penetration, but more front to back penetration. Um, had full pass through. So exit on that backside, as we were cutting up the elk, we did find, um, some of the pedals, like I think four, um, pretty distinct pedals. So again, the hammer, uh, is designed to not mushroom, but actually shed pedals up front and then retain most of the weight in the shank and penetrate, which is exactly what happened. It absolutely wreaked havoc internally, did not have much blood at all, which is, you know, just a downside. Everything I've shot with a hammer been down in sight, which is great, but I also haven't had blood. Um, if I were to have to trail, which is a downside. So it's like, we were talking about that a lot, right? Yeah. We initially talked about wanting copper, wanting, you know, an exit, for reasons like blood trailing. And that's not really been our experience. We are getting an exits, just not a lot of blood. Um, everything we've shot with them has gone down in sight, not just even hammers, but solid copper in general, you've shot barns and you'll talk about what we shot this year, uh, but that pattern's consistent. So, um, you know, there's pros and cons to every bullet. And we were certainly talking about that on this trip, but I, you know, I can't complain. Did a ton of internal damage. Elk was down in sight, just don't like the fact that it doesn't have much for blood if I were to do any trailing. So, um, obviously killed an elk quick and from that perspective, super happy with it. Um, right. yeah. So that's, I think my rifle bullet shot, all that stuff. How about you for you, Steve? Uh, yeah. So this, yeah, spring when I guess pretty early, probably January, February, I reached out to a, a Idaho company called divide gun company, told them I wanted to build like a, a uh, super lightweight six, five Creedmoor short barrel, um, uh, short barrel mainly comes from our, my experiences up in Alaska. Uh, a, I wanted a new, knew I wanted to run a suppressor, um, and then wanted that short barrel, like, you know, just, to, with a suppressor, just want to keep that overall length as small as possible. Um, going back to Kodiak here in a little bit. I mean, the, uh, you, you basically like, there's a lot of times you want to hike with the rifle strapped to the pack. Cause it's like, you're just busting brush, but at the same time, the brush is so thick and the, the alders there it's, it's a freaking train wreck. Like if your pack, if the guns on the back of your pack, it's getting hung up every 20 seconds and the buddy behind you is like helping unhook your barrel from this stuff. And, um, so that I, and, and was supposed to be going back on, uh, that doll sheep on August, which ended up getting canceled. 
but um so i was kind of building the gun for that like lightweight short barrel creedmoor um as i talked about plenty on the podcast i my shoulder's pretty jacked up and i seem to be um recoil sensitive and and that the fact that i just don't yeah the the bigger the the gun is the the worse i shoot it right um and i just it hurts when i shoot um my shoulder is just like a twinge a little shot of pain every time i shoot so i just shoot a creedmoor way way better than anything else um wanted to do uh being a creedmoor wanted to shoot a solid copper bullet because of um you know I, I want really good penetration versus something like say like a barnes um i wanted that mean a burger the, the, oh sorry a bur- yeah a burger that's gonna potentially uh you know be more fragile and kind of explode and, and i wanted that kind of tougher bullet so i could take it elk hunting right um and uh, and just really want you know i try to keep everything simple i want just one set i don't want to be bouncing around setups uh depending on the animal that i'm hunting because it, it's truly like we're elk hunting four days ago i could you know idaho deer is open so i can go deer hunting in the next few days then we're up to kodiak here in another three weeks and shooting smaller deer and i don't want to be bouncing around i just want something that that's going to work very well for all conditions and and the solid copper pointed towards that so they um divide had had some bullets from uh it's called badlands precision i think they're out of south dakota um and it's basically you know i was all like set on using the hammers and he's like well i've got these let's do some load development with them and um they have a little bit higher bc than the hammers so at least listed anyways um so like oh yeah we'll give them a shot and you know i'll i'll probably still load up the hammers um and check them out but um those those badlands they they that gun they built it and the gun just shoots absolutely lights out it's like quarter moa gun i mean it it i yeah as I've been talking about shooting all summer out to five, 600 yards, I've, you know, these four five inch groups in windy conditions. Uh, I've just been shooting that gun really, really well. And my confidence level is definitely like, uh, I'd say my, what I feel like my effective range on previous guns was 400 yards. It's out to 600 with this gun where I'm like, I shouldn't miss except for this elk. So we still got to figure that out. But, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, same as you anti X action from, uh, defiance. Uh, it's a manners custom stock. That's, uh, I think it's based off their EH one platform, but divided made a few tweaks to it. I really, really like the stock. It's very comfortable to shoot. Um, very comfortable on the kind of my cheek weld, uh, how, how it just sits on my shoulder. Um, very, very happy with that. And they put on a Paradigm barrel. Um, I think they're a fairly newer carbon barrel company, but um, so far, great. I mean, it's, it's like I said, the gun just is way more capable than I am. So I can't say um, anything negative about it. That's um, been shooting fantastic. Uh, and then scopes, I tried quite a few different options this year, but ended up settling on that Night Force. Uh, it's an NXS two and a half to 10. Um, the 10X is plenty of magnification for me to shoot any animal out to 600 yards um you know when i'm shooting my little steel plate at 600 it's it's small in there but i don't feel like it's limiting me at all right um and being a second focal plane scope i really like that at 10x um all my uh excuse me all my uh, tick marks in the reticle uh, the MOA marks in there are, are working at that 10 X and I don't got to be like all the way up to 18 and, and zoomed in really too far f- to be able to use that. And I use that all the time, like two, two days prior, um, of the, the hunt, uh, you coming out here, I went out South Boise in the desert and there was like this 
17 mile an hour wind and it was blowing at a 45 and I just, I quickly pulled out my ballistic app. Um, I was like, well, that's calling for 15 inches of drift. And I kind of did the math. I was like, well, I'm going to hold about two MOA. So I just zoom into 10, hold two MOA and bam, just freaking drilled the target three, three shots in a row. Um, and I was like, that's, that's pretty impressive, right? Like this is a strong wind. And um, yeah, it was, I was just, it, the system works really well. One thing that on that night force scope, which uh, it's got a little, little tiny knob that you can screw in as kind of a throw level throw lever to change the zoom ring back and forth. And I've kind of seen those in the past, but like, eh, I don't really need that. I freaking love that feature. Like that, that first spike that we got on because it was like thick and he was in and out of the trees. Um, once I got, um, well, yeah, basically I can just zoom in and out real quick. So I can zoom back out to like two and a half, three X find the animal, you know, without having to like change my body position or anything, I can just throw my right thumb up there, flip that thing into 10 X, get back on and make the shot. Um, I really, really like that system. It's, it's so much easier than, um, than the, the, what I've used in the past, where, especially if there's a lot of friction on that zoom ring where you really kind of got a reef on it to turn it. And, uh, you're really like, you're getting your eye out of the scope to turn it. Um, and then I got to refine the animal. Like this system is pretty dang impressive. So I did, it doesn't have capped windage. It doesn't have a locking top turret. Um, if it had those two things, I'd be like, this is the perfect scope for me. Uh, it's night force. So it's bomb proof. Um, we did Tyler Boschmo was on the sheep hunt with me and, and he was looking at the scope a bunch and on the pack, you know, the two day pack out and the gun just got I mean, my gun looks like it's five years old because it's strapped to the side of the pack and just busting brush and getting chewed up and the rocks in the Frank church. Was, Frank. It looks, yeah, it got Frank. Um, it looks beat up. And Tyler was like, if that scope is still on a zero after this pack out, he's like, I'm going to go buy one. And, and sure enough, man, I like the thing is didn't move at all. It's just rock solid. So yeah, uh, you, you know, have, I like having that confidence of, of a brand like night force. That's, um, that you just know there's not going to be any issues. Right. Um, and, uh, that's just, you know, again, confidence in the field and all that stuff is just plays such a huge role in your success. So, um, and then, yeah, suppressor, that five inch thunder beasts, um, love it. It's, it's, um, yeah, I can't ever imagine shooting a rifle without one. So, um, and they put, uh, I guess trigger, they put a jewel trigger in there um super super light uh pressure <laughs> you shot it and you're like whoa um but i like it man i i um i don't know what the pounds it's at it's like a, a, it's a not pound. pounds it's ounces it's, it's, not it's pounds. ounces okay yeah, it's not pounds yeah um but i i really really like it I, again i shoot that gun very very well and um and, and been very impressed with it so far so um i was uh and then yeah shot uh so it's out it's 125 grain. Uh, it's called their super bulldozer or two bullet. Um, it has a pretty high BC for 125. It's like six, six, one Oh, I think. Um, and, um, yeah, it's not like, it's not ballistically like, you know, you compare that ballistics versus like, uh, what I was getting out of my six, five PRC with 143 grain ELDX. It's, it's not the same, but again, with enough like practice in the field and judging wind conditions and things like that. Um, you know, I feel pretty confident in it. The more, the more I shoot it and the more confidence I'll gain. Um, but same, same story with my spike, 130, 40 yard shot, whatever it was. Um, the, it, the animal went down within seconds, um, made a perfect shot, blew through the shoulder. 
um, got an exit, but not very little blood on the entrance and very little blood on the exit. So um, that's been my whole argument is I want, you know, from my bow hunting past, my bow hunting mentality, I want, I want a blood trail. Like there's going to be a time when you need one. Um, and, uh, I think I'd rather have that. Uh, and I, and I'm also obviously just being a meat hunter. I don't want a bullet that's just going to explode and damage more meat than more meat than is necessary. Um, but I was just disappointed in, in the blood trail for sure. Like if it had, you know, if it was right at dark and it ran a couple hundred yards, um, you wouldn't have been able to find it that night. You would have to wait till the next day. And that's, um, I don't know, obviously the more we, more I get into rifle hunting and study bullet construction and options, um, and you really got to pick your poison. Like there's not one perfect do it all bullet out there. You just gotta, um, pick the one that you think is going to cater to, to what you're looking for the most, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've both killed other animals, other species of the LDX. I've, killed some deer with burgers like and it's you know it's so it's even saying that it's still situational right like it's still Mm -hmm. that shot it's still that animal it's still how that bullet reacted in that instance so yes they all have general characteristics and then you're going to have unique applications of that performance where there can be variability so um yeah it's kind of I still so, don't think perfection's out there. You could, if you had, if you had the, even the perfect bullet and you shot a hundred animals, like 10 of those, you're not going to have desired results. Right. Um, and I think it's just like, yeah, just no matter what bullet out there, like over the course of time, you're going to have a bad experience with it. Uh, so it's just, which one is going to limit those bad experiences, I think. Yeah. Um, well, if anybody made it this yeah. long, I'm sure we might get some emails on telling us what bullet perfection is. <laughs> which we welcome. Go I, ahead. I, I, I'm, I'm all ears, man. I get. Yeah. Well, in hindsight, after that, like I was like, you know, I've, the all the animals I killed with the LDX, uh, I had, you know, good entrance, very good exits, not insane amount of meat damage. Definitely way more than copper, but not insane. Um, but I had blood trails and pastures and. I think it was like my one deer up in Kodiak where I, you know, I had that one bad experience. I, I know I hit it. I, it was a steep downhill shot. And, um, so the, the shot went in high and would have exited low and it didn't exit. And I didn't have a blood trail. I had nothing to go off of and I could never find that deer. That was, that's why I was like, all right, I want to find a bullet. That's going to guarantee I get through both sides of the animal and get, and get a complete pass through. Uh, so I have that and copper's, providing the the exit but it's not a big big exit to where i'm getting a blood trail yeah and context is always important right like right so it comes down to what ranges are you shooting at what animals are you hunting with what cartridge and caliber at what speeds like all those variables do make one bullet choice more relevant than others based on all that consideration mm-hmm. so cool well that was a long one steve it was yeah fun to chat through it it was, certainly was a heck of a heck of a lot of fun experiencing it doing the hunt and uh as you said we shot some content did some other stuff while we were up there so look for more to come uh i feel like we answered a, a lot of questions that came up but if you guys heard something and want us to elaborate or follow up on or is there something we didn't cover you want to hear about just uh send us a quick email to podcast at exomountgear.com we can cover that on a future monday minute episode as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. 
Um, if you're looking for previous shows, want to search about topics, um, different things like that, don't forget, you can go to exomountgear.com forward slash podcast. All of the previous episodes, hundreds of them are there. There's also categories so you can like filter by elk hunting or rifle hunting or archery hunting, and it's all searchable. So if you want to put in like keywords, you can do that as well. So go check that out. And as always, thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon.